WTS presents 3, 2, 1 All the Feelings This episode Pride Tom Peter Welcome Welcome to hey. All the Feelings, our podcast that we do together. This is something that we do together and we make it as a mm-hmm. podcast. And that was a decision we made a long time ago. <laughs> so long ago. Mm-hmm. I, it is a real treat to be here with you. This is something that this show is something that I look forward to. But not only that, when it goes out into the world, I'm really quite proud of it. Oh, well, maybe oh, that yeah. involves this week's episode. We should talk about that. This week we're doing Pride. Pride. No. A feeling of deep pleasure or satisfaction derived from one's own achievements, the achievements of those with whom one is closely associated, or from qualities or possessions that are widely admired. Uh, real quick, something I'm not proud of is my voice. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. Avid listeners will be able to hear that my voice is struggling a little bit. Uh, I had a big weekend, but I'm filled with life, and I'm excited to be here, and I apologize ahead of time. It'll be like last week when Dodge, Dr. Dodge turned into a robot yes. every once in yeah, a while. Robot. Right. I'm just slowly disintegrating. Yes. <laughs> this is all an experiment in how long it will take Spotify listeners to complain about audio issues. <laughs> Boy, of all the platforms, Spotify listeners do yeah. like to let me know. Is that true? There are audio issues yeah. when audio goes funky wts from now on stands for what's that sound (laughs) (laughs) we are talking about pride today and pride when it started because we were on this regression trip Mm -hmm. last week it took me a bit to figure out what wait wait what is pride is pride still an emotion is it like pluto like it's not a planet anymore (laughs) yeah and and it turns out I'm totally wrong. Uh, it's pride is is uh, it's a, a feeling. It's an, an emotion, and um, I I'm just not very good at it. Okay, so that's what you you were coming up with. <laughs> I like to think of everything I feel as one of the deadly sins, and this mm-hmm. is like the first one. <laughs> yeah. So we're coming in I, hot. It's funny that pride as an emotion is a sin, isn't it? Like, yeah. It seems like. Uh, like that's a rough place to start. And it turns out that there are, there's a reason for that, which I'm sure we're going to get to. But I want to start with some of the words associated with pride and the things, Tom, that you are proud of. Oh, okay. What am I proud of? What are you proud of? I don't know. Well, the thing about me that I'm trying to get better at here, I'll just dive into my my very, very, very short personal segment about how I relate to it, which is very Mm -hmm. short. It's something that I've, we talked about this a little bit on the other podcast with Nikki, but it applies here very much. The ADHD podcast. Yeah. We should do a plug because that's coming out, I think concurrent with this, like it's coming out. And so if you want to hear Tom talk to Nikki Kinzer, ADHD coach and me, uh, also me uh, on <laughs> taking control of the ADHD podcast. Uh, you should do that because it was a really fun episode. It was a nice, uh, nice to get you back over there. It so, was fun. Uh, taking and control of the ADHD podcast. Full disclosure. I do not myself have ADHD, but there's a lot of intersecting emotions mm-hmm. and I have enough uh, mental things going on that I'm allowed to yeah. slide in through the back door. Well, um, and that's what we've always done. Whenever you come on, it's been because all three of us, you, me, and Nikki, live with a fair degree of anxiety, and that's always <laughs> been sort of a comorbid ADHD thing. So right. anyhow. And when ahead. all three of us get together, it's like crossing the streams. We become very, yeah. very powerful. <laughs> um, the thing about pride that I have been actively trying to get a lot better at is 
feeling it correctly, feeling authentic pride after doing something that I'm proud of. Let me explain one of the ways, because you mentioned anxiety, if I'm nervous about something, something new that's coming up or some big performance or something, I'm, I'm really suffering from anticipatory anxiety. I do it. It usually, I'm lucky enough, it goes very, very well. I shouldn't say I'm lucky enough. I'm taking pride out of it. I uh, achieve it. It goes mm -hmm. well. And I come out the other end and largely I've learned that my pattern is not to feel pride, but instead to go, whew, I got away with that one. <laughs> <laughs> Good work, Charlie Brown. Let's see how it goes next time. Uh, instead of using that as like, hey, I was really worried about that. I did well. I should use that as confidence for the future. Use that pride as armor. And instead, it's always just like ah, skin of the teeth. That one I fooled everybody. We'll see how it goes next time. You know, we're going to be talking about how pride has uh, both positive and negative connotations. I'm actually trying to inject a little bit more pride in myself mm -hmm. in order to make myself feel better for the future. This gets to exactly the thing that I want to ask you about. Oh. Yeah, can I absolutely inter interject in the middle of your very short thing? I, I want to interject done. what possibly is a bigger question. Oh no. <laughs> okay. How do you learn or I should say how did you learn pride? How did I learn pride? I would I, maybe I've learned that sometimes the best answer is the very first one that flashes into your head. Okay. I think it must have been one of the first times that my parents, namely more my father, told me that he was proud of me. Okay. Because that was something. It's not, I don't mean to make it sound like he was always withholding pride and be like, and yeah, now right. I'm proud. I just mean like hearing that and not being ready for the immense amount of feeling that mm -hmm. came along with that. Uh, that pride, saying you're proud of someone has so much strength that I think that's maybe where I learned it. Does that is that a good, okay. does that make sense? I think it is interesting. I, I've been thinking about it as we've been going into this, as I've been prepping for this show. And um, it, it fascinates me, the nature of learning pride, particularly because uh, there are there are associated words okay. with, you know, pride, like, uh, and, it, you know, there's this it started because there's this researcher who who put these this table together and these words uh, for both authentic and hubristic pride. Those are sort of the two flavors. And the words I find interesting because uh, I, I wonder how I learned to internalize a subset of these words when I was a kid, because that's it feels like when you learn to be proud of what you do. Right. As you said, when your dad said, I'm proud of you, son. And, uh, it, you know, what are the kinds of activities that you did that led to uh, something happened that you could be proud of? Mm -hmm. And I didn't really play uh, uh, sports. I was not a, a sportsman in my youth. Uh, I did play soccer on a, I think I talked about this. I, I played youth soccer and on a very winning team, but played a goalie on a very winning team and never really played. I just stood there. <laughs> and, and so like, I had nothing to be proud. I didn't feel like I ever earned a win as a part of that team and didn't play long enough to really feel, get good at it, to feel like I was, I was accomplished. Um, by the time I was in high school and started performing more regularly, 
I, I think I started getting the hang of it, but didn't quite understand why. You know what I mean? Like I didn't have a whole lot of those very early days of doing something that both I felt good about having done and other people told me I should be proud of what I just accomplished. And so I would be on stage and I would perform, but I, I had no idea like why if I did well, I didn't know how to rationalize that in my life. Does that make sense? Well, it does because that's, and I'll be getting into that a little bit more in my, um, is that pride is an internal feeling, but that usually also comes from an external additional feeling that you said oh, yeah. that I feel that I did good, but it also needs other people saying you did good. It's a, it's a car crash of those two things that can be sometimes really easy, sometimes really hard, especially in a non-performing situation for both of those to feel, because I think you really do need both of those. That's what makes it partly authentic pride versus hubristic. Yes. Okay. That's a really interesting thing. And I, I, as you know, I'm a brand new fan of Formula One racing and uh, I'm loving it. And the guy uh, that there are like there are people, there are athletes in the cars that exemplify this. And it is fascinating to me to see how these guys have grown up and become people that I like to watch win versus people that win and I hate to watch. Right. <laughs> well, because yeah, right? the difference between authentic pride and hubristic pride, it's easier to define one by defining the other. Authentic, yes. authentic pride is I did this thing and I did well in it and I should feel good about that. Hubristic pride yes. can very basically be summed up as I did good at that. I must be good at everything. Yeah, right. <laughs> like you take right. the, one little thing and say, I must be amazing at all things and people should listen to me as such versus authentic pride, which is I really had that one moment, which was great. And I can remember that and use that to help others. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, and in a sports context, like when I watch, Lewis Hamilton win in Mercedes, it is, he, he always comes back around and says, yeah, I know. I'm a real fan. I know. I names. love it. No, I'm so excited. And, and I watch him against, uh, uh, like, I, I got really excited and I went back and watched uh, an old, uh, old race uh, yesterday and to watch him win and hear him say, I am just like honored by the other people in the field and I'm honored by to be here and That's the team it. is amazing. And I just, I, I feel like as such, such an honored representative of this team and this car and all the people that put this together versus, uh, you know, he wins against somebody who says, like, I only came in second because of something somebody else did to me. Right. <laughs> I would have won if only yeah. they hadn't turned into me and take and not taken responsibility for it. Like right. a, a mistake is a mistake. And to carry pride over a, as an excuse becomes mm. arrogance. Right. Right. Yeah. And narcissism like that gap is defined to me as narcissism. And I think that is a really uh, that has been a really interesting thing. And, and I never had that as a kid. Like, I never grew up with that kind of experience as a role model. It took me, I feel like, a lot of time to figure out that those words exist and define a feeling that I would experience at some point. I, I had, I believe I had, and friends of the show could probably fill in, people that I grew up with could fill in better for me. Please do not take a note. Please do not write in. <laughs> not, <clears throat> but no. I think that I, because... I was so filled with anxiety, but was also a big performer. I think at times I probably became over cocky because I was so insecure 
And then so I felt such highs and such lows that I was probably, I took a long time about pride. I think it took a long time to find myself and probably erred on the side of grossness just because I was screaming inside. And so I needed to project and probably that started as pride. And I'm sure it, as it would for any kid at some point or teenager, I'm sure it spilled over into arrogance at some point. I'm sure. So yeah. uh, Dr. Tracy in 2007 presented this list of sort of words. Wait, who is Dr. Tracy? In their op- Did you already bring Dr. Tracy up? is a... It's like a friend of the show. It's how you made it sound like. <laughs> Dr. Tracy, who's in the other room? <laughs> Dr. Tracy is the author of the uh, the article, uh, the journal article, The Psychological Structure of Bride, A Tale of Two Facets mm. in the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology oh. and presents this table of words. And I really like the the sort of antithesis buried in these this table. Uh, under authentic pride, that is that it comes from somebody who feels accomplished or confident or triumphant. Somebody who is a, quote, winner, uh, victorious, achieving, uh, honor, right? These are all words of, like, internal strength that comes with authentic pride. And hubristic pride, arrogant, conceited, yeah. cocky, stuck-up, boastful, haughty, egotistic, self-righteous, pompous, pretentious. Like, all of those yeah. words that indicate a, a sort of a pretender. And what the research came out, uh, Dr. Tracy's report says, these findings show that authentic pride is associated with high self-esteem, whereas hubristic pride is associated with low self-esteem, high narcissism, and a tendency to experience shame. And I think that is fascinating. Right, because one right? comes from inner strength. The other one is trying to pretend, look how much inner strength I have. So one right. one right. is radiating, authentic pride is radiating into yourself. Uh-huh. Hubristic pride exists only to radiate out to others. Well, and here's another piece. Oh, that, I love pieces. That I, I feel like uh, my sense of reading this is when I see somebody who like, Lewis Hamilton, who is incredibly well-accomplished, well-spoken, has a a fantastic uh, family life, all this stuff, that when Lewis wins a race, the pride is the pride about the accomplishment, and that's it, right? Mm. Like, that's the end. That that experience doesn't have to do the heavy lifting of uh, low self-esteem, right? And and so somebody who has low self-esteem comes off as arrogant and cocky because they need that win, the thing that they just accomplished to buoy so many more aspects of their personality. Because they're just bailing, they're bailing emotional water all the time. Yes. That's what, that is my new kind of awakening (laughs) to what this looks like is, is that, is that it just has cockiness and conceitedness is doing more sort of uh, psychological work, right? It's right. a, it's abandoned social behavior. You're work. just trying yeah, to yeah. fill in all the holes. God, if there was ever anyone in the news that represented that kind of hubristic, <laughs> I just can't, nothing comes to mind. That's so I don't, interesting. I can't, I can't believe this was written in 2007. Frankly. Yeah. Uh, and the, the, the final quote, like, in fact, narcissism is associated with a discrepancy between low implicit self-esteem and high explicit self-esteem. In other words, a trademark of narcissism is that deep down on a non-conscious level, narcissists experience high levels of shame and low self-esteem to compensate for these negative evaluations of self they express an inflated an inflated conscious self-esteem right that's yeah the crazy. most the scre- the most you're screaming about how great you are yeah it's got to be you're filling in for something else of course yeah but i don't yeah. think i learned that until really learned that as like oh i get it 
Like it's, mm-hmm. it's the, but we know that kind of thing. Like even growing up, the joke about um, growing up, like when I first moved here, like the louder and flashier your car is, what's the joke you make? You're compensating. Yeah, for you're something. compensating. Right. right. And that's that exact same thing, but you don't think about it that much as that's compensating for something physical, compensating mm-hmm. for something emotional is something that I didn't learn until later of like, why is he? Oh, I get it because it's a shell because there's so much turmoil inside and it's such a sinking boat that, yeah, you will do whatever you need to do to stay afloat emotionally, yeah. which sucks. That's that's sad to see someone like that. But if they're being really, really gross, I got to be honest, there's a little bit of Scheunenfrada in that <laughs> of like, you know, yeah, yeah. that is sad. <laughs> yeah, I'm not saying, so I'm not talking sad. about who I'm not saying who I'm talking to, but it's like I see what's really going on, and I I'm sure you're getting a great night of sleep. Yeah. <laughs> a toad can die of light, by Emily Dickinson. A toad can die of light. Death is the common right of toads and men of Earl and Midge, the privilege. Why swagger then? The gnat's supremacy is large as thine. Every now and again, the internet gives the perfect response to a thing you didn't know needed one. Once you learn it, you want to say it all the time. Sure, because you think you're funny doing it, but also because it's the perfect way to punchline a braggadocious setup that doesn't see it coming. But what is it? What is that sweet package of perfect language, the Swiss army knife of internet wit, to put strange pride in its place? For example, when user DeezNuts2050 posted on Twitter, what I spend on gummies, you'll probably spend on gas, lol. You want to say something, right? Or when now Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh said during his confirmation hearings that he was a virgin in high school and, quote, many years after. There's a response somewhere that really puts that statement in its place. Or when user Witch wrote in their Twitter bio that, I sell soap and I like stale Cheetos. I also collect teeth. So help me. There are words to use here, but I do not know what they are. Internet, help me. These are ridiculous things. In the before times, you might have laughed to yourself and moved on about your day, but those times didn't make it. They died with the pencil sharpener and the monocle. Today, we have a solution to this linguistic conundrum, and it comes thanks to Malala sort of. In 2017, Malala's Twitter bio reported that she loved 2017, was a UN messenger of peace, an honorary citizen of Canada, and was studying for her A-levels and was really anguish emojiing her way through them. Seems like a perfectly reasonable thing to report, but not to fellow Twitterson Finn Fiery, who responded on December 31st, 2017, with words that would change the internet forever until we inevitably get sick of them because they've been taken over by our parents on Facebook. Weird flex, but okay. Now, Malala didn't deserve such snark, but that didn't matter. The snark was what lived. 
The snark became a setup shark, hunting for weird things on the internet to respond to. Go ahead, all those examples above, try them now. Would I spend on gummies, you'll spend on gas, lol? Weird flex, but okay. Brett Kavanaugh was a virgin for so many years after high school. Weird flex, but okay. I also collect teeth. Weird flex, but okay. Of course, I'm monologuing on this far too late. I'm pretty sure the internet moved on, and I'm now the parent I just joked about a second ago. That's okay. For me, the snark shark still hunts. And now that I'm properly armed, that weird brag will finally be put in its place. Or, as you might be inclined to say to me, right now, sir, this isn't Arby's. Now that you know how not to flex that you listen to this dumb podcast, pay it forward and become a feeling friend today. For just $35, you'll get access to the member live stream when we record early access to the shows in your very own member podcast feed, our latest batch of stickers, and a present from Tom, the classic ATF bingo card. Visit our fancy new URL for the show, allthefeelings.fun today. Pete, as we said maybe earlier, you, and as you just demonstrated, you're more of like the science guy sometimes than me. I'm not saying you're only science. You're so much more than science. Look at that You just face. put me in a box. I would never That's put fine. you in a box, and I would never put you in a corner. You carried a watermelon. <laughs> what I'm saying is that a lot of the times I just tell horrible stories about myself. But this time I found this one experiment. But you know I do love experiments, and I found one that involved yes. pride. Now, as we've already talked about a lot, pride is often thought about as a negative emotion. But I like that we are coming at it as we want to talk about authentic pride versus hubristic pride. Um, two psychology professors, the idea of pride comes before the, the fall. Two psychology professors at the University of North New South Wales named David DeSteno and Lisa Williams uh, thought that pride could actually, if used correctly, could be a real virtue instead of just sort of being a negative emotion. Uh, that it could be a great motivator, making one more patient, willing to carry on past challenges and help uh, yourself resist distractions from achieving a goal. And so they wanted to use uh, an experiment to see if this was true. And to test this idea, they created what would be called the, quote, visio-spatial experiment. Do you have any idea what visio-spatial means? Yes. Yeah, so I think what happened was they put them on uh, on a uh standing in a room mm. and then they said you're so smart you're so funny are you proud and then they'd say yes i'm so proud and then the researchers dropped the floor in front of them out and said you're about to fall are you proud now and that was the whole thing <laughs> literally doing the pride and that's the fall. <laughs> yeah they just wanted yes. to see if pride carried immediately before the fall yeah neither of them are professors yeah. any longer it was incredibly dangerous <laughs> and incredibly non-scientific. Um, visio-spatial, I think what you meant to say was it means just relating to visual perceptions of objects and how they relate to each other. It is a largely nonsensical thing. Like I'm, I, I think our listeners got that from my example, but whatever. <laughs> okay, fine. got it. So here's the basic idea of the experiment, and I'm going to try to uh, sum it up as quickly as possible. Um, here's what they wanted to do. They wanted to show that pride could make people persevere keep going at something, whether they liked doing it or not. 
So if they there was an activity that they had a goal for, they didn't like doing it, they were told you don't have to do it anymore, but if they had pride, they would keep at it. And so Desteno explained that they realized they'd have to make people take pride in an ability that they didn't know they had and couldn't have any interest in pursuing. So they had to convince people that they were good at something that others valued. That's the big part. And that they could take pride in. Only then could they determine if pride would translate into greater diligence in honing that ability. And because they also needed to make sure people didn't enjoy the work, they had to make the work annoying. End quote. That wasn't really a quote, but I used almost all of their <laughs> language. Okay, anyways. So this is where visuospatial ability came in. They invited a whole bunch of participants to test what they said was their visuospatial ability. No one involved knew uh, what that meant going in. And no one still knows. I've explained it three times. Still no one knows what it means. Each participant was seated in front of a computer and asked to complete two relatively meaningless tasks involving color and shapes. They were told that the first task um, involved looking briefly at an image of dots of different colors and then recalling how many of the dots were a certain color. Not helpful. I have to. Yeah. I have to tell you. Yeah. I so far I struggle to find a skill that others find value in. Wait for it, baby. Wait for it. Uh -huh. uh, note uh -huh. that it would be hard for the participant to know how well they did after completing the first task. You just have a couple seconds of a whole bunch of dots, and then they say how many were red, and you say it, and maybe you got it right, maybe you got it wrong. You're not sure. They were told that the second task would be harder and would test their abilities their visuospatial abilities that they used in the first task even more. And they only had to work on it as long as they wanted. Okay, Pete, I appreciate your question. Here's where it gets interesting. It's actually not the two tasks, which as I said before, are meaningless. It what comes in between the two tasks. They invented cold fusion. No. Nailed after, it. Com <laughs> after completing the first task, which was how many of the colored dots were red, we broke it into three. There's this huge amount of people, and there's three different groups. One third of the participants were just asked to simply sign a form and then proceed on to that next task, which again involved more shapes and nonsense and was a lot harder and less interesting. This was the neutral or control group. This is just the people that, you know, we need to uh, show the difference of the other three against them. Okay, so that's number, uh, that's one third of the group, the control or neutral group. They're just sailing through. The second third of the group, or what the professors called the pride group, after completing the first task, were introduced to an experimenter who acted very impressed Okay. after what they did on the first task. They told them that their visual spatial ability was in the 94th percentile, very, very high, and they were strongly complimented on their high score. And then they were sent in to complete the second task. The third group... This is so far, this just feels really mean. So far, it's mean. All social experiments are mean. That's yeah. the whole thing. Right. And then at the very at the very end, every social experiment ends with, <laughs> you thought you were doing what? Okay. And then the final third, so this is interesting, yeah. were not met with a very excited or proud experimenter. Instead, they were just giving a printout of their high score. So they had a printer, a printout saying that they were in the 94th percentile, but with no added praise or compliments. That means the difference is they had a result of their success, but they were taking social acclaim out of the equation. So you sail through and do nothing one to two. You do one, you get tons of compliments, and you go on to number two. Number three, you get a piece of paper saying, yeah, you're pretty good, and then you go You on. were present. Exactly. Yeah. And then in the other room, they give one group the prisoner's clothes and one group the 
the, <laughs> the prison guards closed. Is that where, when does that happen? They're each given a button and it shocks themselves over and over again. And they have to just keep pressing the button. This is a terrible uh, social experiment. Social experiments are fun. Yeah. So we have, okay, what happened we next? have those three groups. Go ahead and predict. What do you think happened to all three of those groups? Now, what the what they were trying to see is how long will they stay at the at the second task? The second task again is equally meaningless, harder, and they are told you just have to do it as long as you want. You can leave anytime you want. So, how long will they stay at this task? I think the the group that got the social pride they really malalled it and they went all the way. Exactly right. The pride group stayed yeah. working on the second task way longer than the other two groups by over 40%. And the third wow. group, interestingly, those who received the positive score feedback but didn't have any social acclaim, they bounced as fast as the first group. So just having a printout without someone telling you how impressive it is, just having a printout of your success didn't oh. matter. So self-efficacy wow. self was also not a factor. It was pride. Pride was the great motivator. So, And in this way, the experimenters, to use their quote, they described that pride doesn't always precede a fall. Pride nudges the mind to value the future. It fosters diligence and dedication. This person was impressed by me, and so I want to keep doing this thing that I've just learned I'm supposedly amazing at. Looking at dots wow. with colors. That makes a ton of sense to me. I just hadn't thought of it in that way before. Pride is a motivator. I want to do this thing that isn't fun because I'm looking forward to how proud I will be in the future. Looking back. That's what it means of valuing the future. I'd never thought about those words before. Never. In a million years, yeah. I never would have made that connection. And they also wrote the premise of severance, right? Like, that's oh. the whole social experiment is finding the scary numbers and giving them a tea party. Because we end. still don't know what they're doing in severance. Nope. It's a bunch right. of numbers and taking things out, which probably leads to something incredibly nefarious. Everything goes yes. back to the DOD all the Everything's time. Everything's bad. Department of Defense. Yeah. Uh, you're exactly right. And just like in, I love the specific specificity of this gobbledygookish idea of visual yeah. spatial ability because they were proud. It left them being proud of one very specific ability and that helped them prevent them falling into hubristic pride, which we talked about before. Yes. You can't say I'm so good at looking at dots that I must be great at driving a tractor trailer. Instead, you just <laughs> it keeps you motivated in that one specific field to have pride in. But in, did they, they they didn't make any connection between, like, not giving enough. Like, it, you, you, when you give somebody the piece of paper that says, hey, you have a score, you were present, those people didn't didn't get followed to find out if they ended up being arrogant or conceited or stuck up or, or any of those things. Like, they didn't become hubristically prideful. It doesn't seem to be because... The, they literally it, didn't care. They didn't care. And also, what are you going to say? Hey, check out me, Mr. Dot Spotter. That's the cool thing about yeah. the experiment is you can't be hubristically proud of, I say, you know what I mean? It's not even a good story to tell. That's why yeah. our watchers, feeling friends that are watching, I was waving my hands the entire time during telling this mm -hmm. because it is designed to be boring on purpose mm -hmm. and non-relatable and not leading towards a goal. It's just... I see shapes and how they relate to each other. That sucks. But being told that you're really good and and it's value. That wasn't just, hey, you know, they were like, wow, you are really impressive. This can really help. It made that almost an altruistic kind of a thing. Um, Desteno says one cool more thing about pride, but I wanted to, before we, is, did this bring up any other feelings for you? Because I think it's 
really fascinating. It just puts words together in a way that I never would have thought about pride. Yeah. Yeah. I, I wish uh, it makes me rethink so many parenting decisions that I've made. <laughs> right? About how to motivate your like, kids? About how to motivate my kids. Yeah. And I, I think that's one of the things like parents will know. It's hard in the moment to to think about those things because you're like you're not naturally attuned to, um, you know, celebrating. It can feel like celebrating with faint praise. Right. A, a kid because what you want is to aspire them to be really great and have great taste and that it's it, it, sometimes you just have to say you did a good thing you're good at that what you did right. and in your head you're saying you're great at that as a six-year-old right like it's okay <laughs> and and I, we had this I had this conversation with my son because we still have in our bedroom an actual work of art, a square canvas that is 10 inches square of something that he had painted and uh, it, it, when he was very young. And mm -hmm. he said, that is, he's standing in my room the other day and now he's like going on 18. And he said, that is an objectively bad painting. <laughs> objectively. He said, why? He said, why, why is that still hanging in your bedroom? Yeah. He said, because... It reminds us that the six-year-old who painted that did a good thing. <clears throat> the six-year-old who painted that loved it. And that was the level of the six-year-old's taste and aspiration. And then it was great. And today, when we look at it, it reminds us of that feeling. Right. Not of what you could paint today. Right. And he said, I, he said, I probably couldn't paint that today. <laughs> let's just say in the intervening years, he hasn't spent a lot of time painting. Sure. Um, but but that's the that's the idea. And I when he was six, I wonder if I if I was like, would he have painted more in the intervening years if I had told him more the right assertively? Language. That's good. You're good. You right. have something to be proud of and see what happened. Yeah. Right. That always seems like such a, that is exactly right. And I mean, that's, would be one of my biggest anxieties as a parent of, I don't realize that I'm talking in commandments, <laughs> meaning you yes. just sort of toss things off. And yeah. depending on how fraught the situation is for the kid, you are writing things in stone. And then you're just giving fodder for the Bonnies, <laughs> fodder for the yeah. therapists. That always reminds me of American <laughs> Beauty, a movie that kind of holds up. Uh, but when they do the big cheerleading routine and Annette Benning talks to her daughter afterwards and goes, I was watching you the whole time. You didn't mess up once. <laughs> That's her way of complimenting. Yeah. And it flashes right. to the daughter and she's like, okay, <laughs> this isn't yeah. going to be what I wanted at all. But great. yeah, no, that right. makes sense of for motivation. You use, we usually think of like motivational posters or bosses saying, you, you know, we can do this. We can do this if we work together and stuff. Instead of being like, think about how you'll feel looking back. Like yeah. you're, it's an interesting way to to use that as a motivation, especially because pride is usually thought of as a negative thing. Um, yeah. Destano uh, has a TED Talk where he didn't really talk about his experiment. I found that in a separate place. But he does talk about pride in his TED Talk. And one of the coolest things that he ended with is he had a, uh, suggestion on how to use pride for others. I'm paraphrasing using all of my own words here, but the ideas, of course, is here. He's pretty much saying, don't hoard your pride. That we are talking about it being a very fulfilling internal feeling, but then what you're proud of means that you have achieved something or achieved a certain amount of excellence. 
use that to help others learn what you're proud of, how to learn to do what you did so they can then learn it and be proud of it too. Okay, so give me a do do a little role play. What are to demonstrate that for me? Something you're proud of? How would you use your pride? I would use my pride in saying I'm very proud of being a officiant, a wedding officiant, uh, for a lot of my friends' weddings. I've done five of them, yeah, and I'm very proud. And I've learned as I've gone along, and then I've had other people come up to me being like, "Hey, I've been asked to officiate something in like a year, and I'm really nervous, and I've never done it before," and then I can give them some tips. Not like really smart. The really the biggest tip I give is two things. I say speak from the heart and it's three words that you have to write down that you will forget. I forgot it the first time I did. It's three words that you will forget. But if you get those three, everything else will go smoothly. What are, what are the three words? Please be seated. <laughs> Everyone forgets Every, their first time. I was and sitting I mean here it. like you may now kiss the. That's more than three. Yeah, exactly. What could it be? Yeah. The three words are this won't work. No, it's please be seated. <laughs> You're so nervous and excited about being the officiant that they come down, he comes down, she comes down, they're looking at each other, ring bearers are excited, and you forget to have the 200 people the audience in front sit. of you take a seat. And so it gets really weird and sh people are shifting and trying to like signal you. If you can remember, please be seated. Everyone knows that they're in good hands and then you can continue. That's the kind of thing. That's me doing a very lame job of it but that's me using pride to mentor other people and i've given yeah. that advice to other people and i'm so lucky people have come back to me at other like friends of friends weddings and been like thank you so much or i went to a wedding it was the first time officiant and i had to, i told him the same thing because he was about yeah. to not to have them sit down so very long example you asked for you, something pithy probably but i gave I you did. something real I expected a joke. Yep. I expected the I expected the 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 snark and I didn't get it. Nope. And that is such a great example. That is a <laughs> objectively great example. <laughs> yeah. But then we watch video now, like later, and I'm like, kiss each other, kissy bride. And I'm like, that is an objectively terrible wedding. <laughs> yes, but that's where you were at the time, Tom. <laughs> yes, that was that was where you were at the time. Ozymandias of Egypt by Percy Bysshe Shelley I met a traveler from an antique land who said, Two vast and trunkless legs of stone stand in the desert, near them on the sand, half sunk, a shattered visage lies, whose frown and wrinkled lip and sneer of cold command tell that its sculptor well those passions read which yet survive stamped on these lifeless things, the hand that mocked them and the heart that fed. And on the pedestal these words appear, my name is Ozymandias, king of kings. Look on my works, ye mighty, and despair. Nothing beside remains round the decay of that colossal wreck, boundless and bare, the lone and level sands stretch far away I'm putting away my pride I don't care who's wrong or right oh somehow you got me so magnetized and I love it you bring on my dark to light light I used to be thank you all so much for hanging out with us uh, it has been a fine exploration of our pride uh, Tom 
This week's tune was No Ego featuring Superman's Fiend by Third Dimension. Get it, everybody? I really want to keep pointing out all these poems are about the things we're talking about. We're picking songs about things. I don't think we're getting any credit. <laughs> They're just. I like, don't think we are either. Yeah, I think they just but think we, we picked know. the first song and the first poem we yeah. find. Ugh. Yeah. Why am I so angry? What, at are, nothing? what are we gonna do? What are we gonna do next week? <laughs> well, I think that we should do a boomerang episode. This week was all okay. about pride. Instead, now next step next week, how about we take on pride's gross step? Son, I don't know. Let's not make it about stepson. How about doubt? Oh my goodness! Doubt and the fear involved with doubt, or oh my the goodness. good parts of doubt. We'll see. We haven't written a word yet, but I think doubt <laughs> would be interesting. And I think you know that's uh, if pride, with pride should also come doubt. Bookends. So let's see how it goes. We'll see how those dice roll next week. Until then, I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Tommy Mess III. I promise I will have a lot of lozenges in between. Thank you so much for downloading. We will be back next week with all the feelings. No, no, no.